Welcome back to the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast. Uh, I'm Chris McCaleb, and uh, with this, we got a we got a jam packed slate. Um, first of all, we have our our co host and returning champion Kelly Dixon. What's going on, Kelly? Chris, it's so good to see you. Oh man, I've been missing you so much. I've been missing all of y'all, but seriously, Chris, I really miss you. And thank you guys so much for including me on this one. This is so much fun. That's awesome. Uh, you may notice that we all sound, uh, we may sound a little different this year because uh, uh, we're still having to record virtual or virtually, remotely. And um, so that's, we all sound different. Hopefully we all sound good. We've uh, taken steps to try and make it good because I'm, I'm also here. I'm in person uh, with, uh, with my ride or die, my, my, my number one to my number two. That doesn't make sense. Uh, it's Joey Reinish. Hi, Chris. I'm learning a lot about our relationship yeah, right, right now. One, a lot of ones and twos, apparently. Not good. I'm going to go back on mute. Yeah, smart move. Uh, I should probably go on mute, too. Um, no, but, uh, I, you know, this is we're, we record these a little bit out of uh, order. This is our first recording of the season, so, um, you know, we're figuring it out again. And, um, you know, Joey, last week, you did a fantastic job last week on the premiere. Oh, your, thank you. Your first solo uh, primetime television editing yeah, just a small episode. Yeah, just the premiere just the of premiere. Better Call Saul's yeah. final season. Um, no pressure. I'm sure we talked about that last week. It was a good conversation, happens. yes. Um, and uh, speaking of talking about last week, uh, we also have the co-creators and executive producers of the show, Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan. Wee! Yay, Squee! Yay! Yay! Thanks to you guys for, for doing this again this year, and, um, and I'm glad that we were able to make this work. You know, even though we're so we're still, you know, we're still in uh, things are getting better with the pandemic, but uh, we're still, you know, taking things carefully just for the sake of making sure that we're able to finish the season and get it out there on the air. So uh, I'm glad that we could do this remotely. And um, so uh, so also with us today are the writers of the episode, uh, executive producer Tom Schnauz and staff writer. Ariel Levine. Yay. 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 Hello. Very glad to be here. Welcome yep. to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you for pronouncing my name correctly, Chris. That's you bet, Ariel. And this it. is Ariel. This is your first year as a staff writer on the show. Is that correct? Yeah. That what is a correct. journey. Wow. What a journey you yeah. have, you and I have had. You started mm-hmm. in post production when we when we started Better Call Saul in that first season. And That's I was true. Kelly's assistant. And uh, here we all are, uh, 15 wait, years later. But wait, Ariel, all... were you a PA? Didn't you fill in as a PA on, on Breaking Bad, too? Yep, see? I did for about two weeks. Yeah, see? Wow. Yeah. When you, when you guys were like, breaking the last the episode goods. of the series. Uh, Ariel's, Ariel's in all the pictures where we're drinking champagne because we finished Breaking mm-hmm. the Last Episode. <laughs> yep, I'm the and one also, that's like deer in headlights. Like, how did I end up here? I'm trying to look at the boards, no. but not look at the boards. Yeah, it's terrifying. Is this your first podcast for us? Is this no? Is this one it? Oh this no! Is okay, all right. Three. Okay, this is number three. Four. Okay, number and, three. And let's not let's they not all blend it. It's, it's been two twenty Emmy, years. Two Emmys later for Ariel. Uh, That's for, right. Work two for, times yes. Emmy winner. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable! It's mm-hmm. so exciting. I mean, I, 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 when you ran out of like shelf space for all those Emmys, like what did you do? Did you build another shelf, or how does that work? There's only one cat say cat proof shelf in my house, and so this has to be it. That, so, that make, there that is no more sense. room. That Remind folks what you won the Emmys for. Uh, I I won very lucky to win two Emmys for uh, writing, producing the Better Call Saul training videos. 
um, season to accompany season three, and then another one in season five. They're very good. Check them out on YouTube. Yeah, they're super doing another awesome. one this season. Ooh, little yeah. tease. And also, Ariel, haven't you been working on uh, another spinoff f- uh, project from the, the show? I have, yeah. Um, I and uh, along with uh, Kathleen Williams Foshi, our uh, lovely script coordinator, have been working on the Slippin' Jimmy Chronicles. It's an animated uh, series of shorts um, that will be coming out soon. Also very, very fun. Check them out. Man, that I is so it. exciting. I can't wait to see that. I, I've, I mean, I've only seen little like concept art and um, it sound, and I've heard you guys talking about it. It sounds really fun. Sounds awesome. It's a lot of fun. They're wacky. That, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see that. And I'm also, uh, I, I uh, would be remiss to not mention that uh, we've already introduced him, the director of this episode, uh, Vince Gilligan. Vince, you directed this one. This is your first of the season. Yay, me! Yeah, Yay. hell yeah, and it's Yay. awesome. I, I, this, I, I was so, I was like edge of my seat on this episode. It was, it, and it's such a roller coaster too because it, it's also like the the premiere. This, it, you know, we're getting us back into it. It's pretty serious. Nacho is clearly in some real danger, and um, and then we take this this diversion into the Kettleman's, which was so good, so funny, so great to see them again. And um, yeah, I just I thought this episode was awesome. Wow. Well, it was uh, hopefully this goes without saying it was a group effort. It always it always helps to start with a great script. Unfortunately, I didn't get that this time. But that's <laughs> I'm hoping it was Tom's fault. It was, <laughs> no, it was it was it was a hell of a script. And it was uh, the, between the script and the actors and the uh, and the editing and and uh uh, my God, uh, Skip Skip McDonald did an uh, amazing job editing this, and uh, and the actors are great, and uh, you know, uh, my God, uh, Paul, our DP, did a wonderful job. So group effort all the way, as always. Is it pronounced Donicky? Paul Paul Donicky, our uh, wonderful director of photography. Yeah, group effort. And just to say that this is that's something that we've never done before. We actually have two DPs this season. So Marshall Adams, who is who's been. Our DP ever since season three uh, is on the odds odd episodes, and Paul, who was our a camera operator and is now full fledged DP, is on the uh, even episodes. And it's uh, boy, it's 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 changed things a lot. I'm sure we'll get to talk about it. Uh, I think it's been it's been fantastic. And of course, Paul. Well, Vince, you should talk about Paul because you spent a lot of time working with him. He just did a remarkable job this season. Paul is is fantastic. He was our a camera operator. For, for several years. Uh, he hails from uh, Blighty, uh, from, uh, I think he's, uh, uh, God, where is, what, where's, where's Paul from in England? Where, where exactly? London, I believe. London, okay, all right. And he is just, he is, he's such a great, such a great operator. And I, I, I knew the, uh, you know, in, in the first time I got to work with him as an operator, I, I realized this guy's a storyteller. And uh, when, when uh, as, as Peter explained, uh, we, we, we realized it, it would behoove us to have, because of the schedule and the complexities of this season, that it would, it would behoove us to have a second uh, director of photography. It just, it was a no-brainer that, uh, that it should be Paul. He's just, the move up has, uh, you know, has, it, it worked wonderfully. He's just, he's just a, as is Marshall, as is Marshall Adams. It is, both gentlemen are an absolute pleasure to work with. And they are both storytellers. They're both 
wonderful partners and collaborators and and uh, in, in telling the story that the director wants to tell and putting it all on film or well, in this case ones and zeros video and one of the great benefits of having your deep you know dp switch off episodes is that your dp got to go on the tech scout with you which yeah. almost never get, it only happens in the first episode of the season because yeah. they're not doing anything else they're not prepping um for or they're not shooting another episode so they get to go out and see all the locations ahead of time which was a which was really really helpful it's you know what you just you just pegged it that's a, that's huge i'm glad you said that because it's just it seems like you know what's the big deal about that but that is that is you're, you're so right tom that's just that's you know because then the dp has has been to all these places instead of at best having seen pictures of them uh whatnot and and you you go in with a with a real plan uh, they, these guys are so great that they they always have a plan even when they don't get to visit. But the the plan is is much more fully fully realized and and there's fewer things left to chance when you when you get to when you're lucky enough to get to do it this way. Okay, y'all, listen. This is a really <laughs> chock full episode. I love that we're getting all this text up. But coming from the part the 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 place where a lot of people out there are, where we don't know all the shit that's going on. Since I have y'all, I want to know, okay, this is like the first episode sort of where we're starting to see this parade of characters coming back. So can we jump back to the beginning of however long ago it was in the writer's room when y'all started saying, hey, we need to bring all these these people back. Can you guys jump back to that and tell us a little bit? Well, I, I'll, I'll just jump in and I'll say, Kelly, we've had, ever since we started the show, we've had this board full of characters who we want to yeah. bring back. Uh, you know, every, so many, so many characters. And in the beginning, it, they were all Breaking Bad characters. We had this whole long list of Breaking Bad characters, people who had appeared on the show and people had just been talked about on the show like Lalo. But as the, uh, as the seasons have gone by, there are more and more characters from the show we really wanted to see again. And uh, so it's not so much that we said, okay, let's check this one off. It's just, we were so excited when we saw an opportunity and we saw that, uh, that the Kettleman's were, the Kettleman's were the perfect uh, go-betweens for, uh, for Jimmy to use to, to defame Howard. Uh, so that was, uh, that's, it's, it's more about seeing the opportunity and being excited to see uh, this, oh, this goes, this goes, this puzzle piece goes in here than it is saying, okay, we got to get the Kettleman's in here. Because boy, I'll tell you the truth, there are a lot of characters we would have loved to have seen uh, who never did make it back. Yeah. Well, when I was watching yesterday, I was like, oh shit, isn't that, is it, oh my God, it is the Kettleman's, you know, so I got really <laughs> excited. Um, but I guess, you know, can you guys also tell a little bit about how the COVID thing hit y'all because this is a very different year even though I'm not there you know it used to be on all the seasons y'all would be you know pretty much writing while we were still while we were working on episodes and this year y'all were like done writing right when we when you guys started production is that is that the case it's all a blur is that I and mean, we were done breaking them right yeah, weren't right. we mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. We're done. Yeah, yeah. The writer's room had wrapped, which is, you're right, Kelly, it had never been that way before. This COVID thing, I mean, well, hell, hopefully, like, uh, 
you know, like Chris said at the beginning, hopefully this thing doesn't sound too different. We're doing this uh, via, we're doing this podcast via COVID fashion on Zoom. So that's how we did the writer's room. And it was... So let me, let me ask you this though. Okay, so COVID hit like in January, February of 2020. Were y'all, do y'all just, were y'all in the middle and y'all just go home and start Zooming? Or was there a break or how did, how did it We had about two out? weeks in the writer's room, I think. Mm-hmm in the writer's room in person looking at each other before we started thinking, Oh, let's, let's go and zoom for a few weeks before while this thing blows over. (laughs) And then, uh, before we know it, yeah, a year later, we're still doing it that way. Yeah. And here we are two years. How long is it? I don't even know. It was, it was (laughs) the two year anniversary of them declaring that a pandemic was yesterday. Was it not? Or two days ago. Just in full disclosure, today is March 13th. Uh, the day before my birthday, and the day after my birthday was the day Los Angeles shut down all restaurants and bars, yeah. and and so we, it was you. It was me. I did it. <laughs> I did it. Must have been a hell of a birthday party. It was yeah, not just, great. We 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 had intended to go disease. to Disneyland. It's it's funny on the that season five podcast we were talking about going to Disneyland and how great it is to go on like Super Bowl Sunday or so, you know on a day when there's not a lot of people there and it and it it the, it just happened to come out like right when everything was locked down and people were you know and so we 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 put a little disclaimer in some of those podcasts saying like hey uh, we recorded this before you know the world shut down so. Yeah. Happy birthday in advance, you handsome Happy bitch. birthday, Chris. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. Do we need to um, sing to you? <laughs> n- not, no. We, we wouldn't. Not on, we wouldn't. Not on, the, not on the, no. There'll be some, like, weird, like, coming into my room tomorrow uh, singing that'll happen, I'm sure. That, that, uh, this, the one, we have this tradition at the office, as I'm sure many people have traditions. Anyway, but let's not get back, bogged down in birthday stuff. Um, well, you know, by the way, that was one thing that kept us saying. We sang for a lot of people on zoom for their birthdays and including we, we did talk about that uh, guys. So we, we, we sang for a bunch of people and it was just got uglier and uglier every time because it's <laughs> never, I mean, we, we can't sing with yeah. the shit, but Nothing's on top of in, that, it's ne- never in sync. Yeah, practice sync. did not make perfect for us. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> but people, it was it, but we wound up singing for people we didn't even know, right? We'd, we'd uh, like shoot a video and send it to them. And, mm-hmm. People's yeah. like, you know, grandmothers, Strangers. sisters, brothers-in-law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I just wanted to ask because I've got a lot of questions about this too, about just the plot. And I'm curious. Okay. So the episode starts where the girls are at nachos. Very, very funny. I was like, where the hell is this going? It's wonderful to be watching these and not know anything because it's, it's very, very different. But then you got this whole safe crack swap that's going on. Um, and, you know, Mike leaves the envelope in there on purpose. So can you guys talk about breaking this or trying to, you know, what, what was the idea here? Oh, and that safe crack was cool. Like what went into the, the I guess, uh, research on that one? It's hard to remember exactly what went into it because, I mean, when we were breaking it, we knew we had to... Gus had to have a plan to set Nacho up because Nacho was there during the hit. Lalo killed everyone, survived. Suspicion is is going to fall on Gus. I mean, just because they don't trust him as it is. So Gus had to find a way to put suspicion elsewhere. I think he had a plan to blame uh, another group of people, a Peruvian gang, but 
he didn't know Nacho was going to be there, so he had this opportunity to take this this piece that wasn't part of the plan and make it work for him and basically uh, have Nacho be the fall guy. So he's trying to set Nacho up uh, with this piece of evidence that he's putting inside of a safe that if uh, the Salamancas go there and Balsa goes there and finds a, it's obviously whatever's in there is Nacho's. So that's why the whole idea of a, of a safe swap that how crazy is it that somebody would exactly replace a safe with all the contents and one additional piece of evidence that nails Nacho? You know, I'm glad you brought that up because this part of it was when I was texting Chris. I'm like, I am so confused. And then I'm like, oh, shit, no way. Right. And it was just and I didn't want to say anything even on the phone to Chris without talking to him. Like, I don't want to put in writing any names or any of that yeah. yesterday. Wow. But I wrote on there, I was like, Mike Lee's phone number, double cross? I'm glad that you brought that up because I was like, but you know what? The, I will say that the interesting part of this was that because Mike was doing it, I'm like, why? Wow, really? Mike did that? But then later you have him say on the phone, he says, wasn't my call. And I was like, that yeah. was pretty interesting. Mike, I Mike, was confused. I was like, "Wait, who? Mike, who's Mike works for what? yeah. Mike works for Gus and will do everything that Gus says, pretty mm-hmm. much. But it, it, as we see at the end of the episode, when it comes to threatening Nacho's father, he he has to draw a hard line. I mean, he's a pretty dedicated company man, but uh, even he won't go that far. And there's other, that other one little bit of piece, you know, in the teaser. Mike doesn't know what's in the safe, and he finds Nacho's ID. He also finds the ID that Nacho made for his dad. Yeah. Well, he doesn't want. He wants to protect dad because dad's an innocent into this, and he he pockets dad's ID and leaves Nacho's uh, behind to, to be found by the Salamancas. And there's other examples of that throughout the season that we won't get into now on this podcast. But it's it's amazing how much harder you make it. We we make it for ourselves when there's a lot of stuff happening without anyone explaining it. You have mm-hmm. to you have to figure out ways to do all of it visually to tell the story visually and it's and it's really tricky especially when it comes to a close up say of a a guy's hand putting a putting a fake ID into his pocket in a in a dark in a dark room and he can't explain it to anybody it's uh it's yeah it's it, it makes it challenging I would say the same is true um, as far as not quite understanding and sort of we're we're playing catch up is trying to figure out like exactly what uh, Jimmy and Kim are up to with their with their Howard plan and uh, yeah. and uh, it, I I really like how it, it unfolds where we're kind of we're always a little step behind kind of to to the as the audience. Girlfriend yeah. is ruthless too. Let me tell you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow. And I was even when I finally got a hold of Chris yesterday, I was like, damn it, I need to go watch some of these episodes from season five. Uh, season five again because yeah. i'm like what wait a minute what and it was yeah <laughs> the girlfriend is she ain't playing this year wow well, let me let me <laughs> ask you that's a good that's a good segue did you did you feel sorry for the kettleman at the end or you were like yeah go go no. uh go no. kim no, no I, okay. I was like that was jamming i i thought she was like they need the stick or whatever she said i was like that was good <laughs> I was, it was great. And just to watch Betsy's face, I'm sorry, I can't remember the actress's name. Julianne oh, Ju- Emery. Ju- Julianne Emery. Yeah, Julianne. Wow. 
she heard just to watch her face and how like she's like don't you do this to us don't you do, you know and yeah. oh my god there it was really really nice to see them again it was fun. how great are they jeremy shamos and julianne emery how great are those two <laughs> they, phenomenal it's phenomenal and i i've probably we've probably said this on some other podcast uh, but uh hell i probably said it myself and don't remember but i mean those two they didn't even know each other right uh, until right. they showed up on the set the first day they god they're so good together and they've been they're married so... since then <laughs> yeah. it's, really, it's really special love connection well and the last time we saw them um was uh the short film that jen carroll the silent uh, partner on this zoom recording that she made this uh was it the the kettleman like reunion picnic or what it, i forget what exactly the name of it but it's it's out there on the internet and it's this wonderful what we used to call a webisode or minisode i guess and it was uh, and she and yeah and jen did a marvelous job directing it and it's it's the picnic that mom and the kettle kids are having uh and ariel wrote it and mm-hmm. ariel wrote it and did a did a fantastic job ariel did a great job writing mm-hmm. it jen did a great job directing it but it's well hell uh, what am i explaining it for to remind the folks what happens in it ariel um yeah it's a uh, just a sweet moment between the kettlemans uh you know craig is in jail and he's doing some um you know he's picking up trash on the side of the road and here comes betsy and the kids you know coming down to have a little picnic and they sort of have a silent picnic and um it's kind of a sweet kind of sad moment a little, a little watch, absurd. He's, you know, they start their, singing their, uh, you know, their, their, you know, their bingo song that they're singing in season one. Watch as they watch Dad pick up trash in an orange jumpsuit yeah. as uh, the tail end of a chain gang. Yeah. You know, the sweet Better Call Saul moments. I dream, I dream of that for me and my kids someday. I think. <laughs> 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 I, I I feel sorry for the Kettlemans occasionally, but then they feel so sorry for themselves that they uh, yeah. they take care of it already. Yeah, they're, uh, they're that's, take, that's they're, such that's such a wonderful scene that you guys. Advantage. Oh yeah, yeah. That's why yeah. I didn't feel sorry for them. They're scamming still, man. Good. Yeah. Like, Our kids yeah. have to go to public school. <laughs> <laughs> And they're working in a trailer. It's like that's that was some funny shit, man. It, it is funny. it is interesting how much how how victimized Betsy feels at all times. Yes, that she's yes. <laughs> and it was like yeah we you know, we lost every, what is it everything was taken away from us or we lost everything whatever she says. Yeah. It's yeah. like well, but it was all ill gotten gains. I mean, you were yeah. <laughs> it was all stolen. So <laughs> she takes no responsibility <laughs> whatsoever. Zero. Zero. Never, never, ever, ever. And it's as part of that. Uh, Julianne plays that so beautifully because she's just, you know, she's the rock of Gibraltar. She's never, she's never going to crack. She's never going to admit to a mistake, never going to admit to doing anything wrong. And uh, she feels so sorry for herself. Uh, she just wonder. and Jeremy, I, I, I'm lucky enough to have watched these scenes uh, any number of times. If, if it's a fun exercise, just watch the scene again and just watch Jeremy because Mr. Kettleman is 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 rooting Mrs. Kettleman on, but he doesn't always know what she's going to do next, and he has to turn on a dime. And it's just you see this whole process that Jeremy's putting, and he is a brilliant actor. He's he's in a lot of Broadway shows. He's uh, he's the, the, these two are two just aces. We're so lucky uh, that they did these roles in the first place, and that they were willing to come back to Albuquerque and do be, be the Kettles again. Who wrote the line "Dial nine to get out"? <laughs> Uh, that was Tom. Um, <laughs> can I tell you? Can I tell you how stupid I am? When I read the script, I thought, eh, 
maybe we should cut that because it doesn't make any sense. And it is the biggest <laughs> laugh every time we're in the editing room. I mean, I've only seen it. I haven't seen it with an audience other than folks in the editing room and, and uh, during the sound mix and whatnot. But that's that's enough to tell me that I was that would have been a really dumb idea. There's something <laughs> so so fun about watching Mr. Kettleman try to be helpful yeah. to the people mm-hmm. who are there yeah. to take him down. Yeah, <laughs> he's just such a nice guy. When he oh Mazel Tov to the to the wedding, and he's just so happy to see Jimmy. While while Betsy's obviously get out. I, I, my favorite moment that they have is is when they go to see uh, Cliff, and he's he says, you know, I can't represent you, and he's like like two steps behind, and he's just still sitting there, and she's leaving. He's just kind of going for his water or whatever. <laughs> And that, I love that. That made me laugh out loud. Well, that's the running gag, isn't it? We we kept that going. The uh, Mr. Kettleman could never get a sip of coffee. That was uh, that's right. That was something that was. What episode was that? Uh, where where it was for Loyola's Cafe. One hundred and seven. Uh, okay, one hundred and seven. Where he, he just <laughs> he can't get the waitress to refill his coffee, and so we kept that kept that going in this one. Hey, so God. guys. You know, it's like 30 minutes into this thing around, and we, I gotta say, Mando, Michael Mando, oh, um, man. you know, look, I mean. Boy. He delivers, boy. He is, mm-hmm. he is he real does. good at this. He is God, in so big good. trouble. Yes. <laughs> he's, really he's, big. I say, he's in a pickle. He really, he's in a pickle. He really did a great job. And, you know, Vince, like, I know you've directed these without writing them, but, you know, what was it like with this one? You know, because. It's like you're directing these very quiet scenes where you need to, and I think like that an editor on these things is when you when you need to convey to the audience what is happening, the audience has to put it together, but the actor has to put it together. We have to kind of be at the same time sort of putting this together. Because I wrote in my notes, um, even though I think that I could answer the question, but I said, at what point is Nacho putting it all together? Right. And so I'm curious as a director, when you approach something like this that you did not write um, and you're just doing like the prep work and, the, you know, understanding how you're going to show this visually, because that whole scene was visual. That's that's a great question. That's what we were talking about a little while ago. This is this is yet another example, big example of you got a guy keeping his own counsel. He's all by himself. You know, he's. You can't have you don't have the benefit of of dialogue to help you explain to the audience what's going on. And one of the biggest fears was for me directing that scene was how are we going to sell? You know that there's that there's someone maybe maybe not, but there's there could be someone watching him from across the street. And how are we going to sell? And you and you want the guy across the street to be really smart. And so you want. Like the big moment, I, I, it'll be interesting. Uh, people listening to this, uh, I, I, it'd be interesting to hear. I mean, did you see? You, what, what did you watch when you watched this? You you watched it on a on a computer, uh, Kelly or? A, come, y'all, you forgot what? where you were, didn't you? Come on, man! I got a big seventy five inch. That's TV. true. Come All on. right, you <laughs> got a beautiful come big on, TV. Come on, man! Did, but, did but it you? Had, it had is, your it had your watermark right across the, uh, yeah. the key yeah, areas of the screen, though. Yes, it, yes, it did. Unfortunately, were you able to see the little bit of movement? Oh in yeah. The, oh, oh yeah. you were. Yeah. Okay, good. Because that was a big that was a big worry for me. Is you want the guy to be smart? You don't want to make it. You don't want to make it one iota bigger 
than it has to be to give away the guy's presence through the crack in the plywood on the window of the abandoned building. You don't want to make it one teeny little molecule bigger than it has to be. So that's all. All this stuff's tricky. Finding that location was really tricky. And that was a boy, yet another group ever. Vince, I heard there's some trivia about the, the glint that he sees in the window. How'd you guys do that? We had a young man uh, uh, doing a great job. It turns out, uh, uh, moving uh, in the you know during the and and I'm watching from across the street and he was, but the trouble was you know having that he couldn't see what he was hit you know on on action he had to move just a little bit to reveal himself just to see a little bit of light past his body. But it was it was like what I was talking about. It was so damn tricky that we did we did it like a hundred times, uh, and you know don't do it again, do it again. And I got so frustrated, and then I said I'm going to do this myself, goddammit. it! <laughs> and I took my little I had my little uh, uh, what a little lollipop they call it. It's a little little viewer, little basically it's a little uh, I don't know. It's probably about uh, four by six inch uh, uh, TV screen that you carry around as a director and it's radio frequency. It's, it's basically wireless. So you can see what the camera's seeing. So I've walked down the stairs of the motel room and I walked across the street and I go in there and I basically, I'm holding this thing, which this young PA did not have the benefit of doing. He couldn't see what he was doing. And then I'm holding it. I'm, and I'm, and I'm going to stand in place holding this, this TV set, uh, moving my body so that I'm that so this is as close as I think I will ever get to doing a cameo. Uh, <laughs> it's your Hitchcock. Song. It's your Hitchcock uh, moment. Yeah, I think. And by the way, at the end of the day, I'm not even sure which take Skip used. Our wonderful editor. I so it might have been our young PA, and it might have been me. But by the way, so here's the punchline. I'm holding this thing. I have the benefit of this little screen that the uh, the the PA didn't have. And I'm moving around, and I still can't get it right. So then I have to eat crow in front of everybody. Like, you know, well, how come we're doing 100 takes of you doing it too? Because you you have this leg up this this young fella didn't have, and you can't get it right either. It was so weirdly <laughs> difficult to make the movement just right. I can't even remember which take we used, but we probably we did it in one run, one uninterrupted run. So it wasn't literally take one, take two, take three, but we probably did it like 200 times. Jeez. And I'm not even—I'm not even sure we still got it right. But, here's the uh, thing, though. I think it works great. All right, the, good. Here's the thing, though. I'm curious about, and it just goes, kind of goes a little bit further along. This is at what point? Because it's not only that he's realizing that somebody's watching; he also puts together that he is being double crossed, right? And that that's what I'm curious about because you know, I it—I was. I was really confused at this point, not confused in a bad way, but I was like, wait a minute, who's, wait a minute, Are, is Gus, tra-? you know, there was a lot going on in that. There's a lot of subtext going on. I'm, you know, always in awe. I know you guys have heard me say this before, but even on Breaking Bad, you know, when people would say, what do you think is going to happen? I'm like, what is the point in trying to guess? Because these MFs are going to figure something out that I'm never going to know. So I'm sorry. I don't mean to call you all MFs. But, you know, these guys are going to figure out something that I'm never going to guess. And it's going to be better than anything that I would have guessed. So even watching these things yesterday, I was like, I do not know. But damn, what the hell? You know, so... In that scene, because I went back over it again today, this morning, 
in that scene, I was watching very carefully. And yes, you know, he's figuring out that somebody is watching and he sees the food and he opens the door and, you know, but then he's also figuring out and also the audience is sort of getting, figuring out that it's, that he is being double crossed, that, that Tyrus who's on the phone with him all the time is basically giving him information. Do I have this right? I do have you're, this right. You're right. You're right on. Yeah. He's got Gus, Gus's guy is watching him uh, because he, he just wants to make sure everything goes okay. He needs Bolsa and the Salamancas to get in there and kill Nacho for this to work because if Nacho gets out alive uh, and talks about what is really going on, Gus is in big trouble. So, uh, I think Nacho Nacho knows that the person watching him is obviously not coming after me. He's not attacking me. He's not. He's probably not with uh, Lalo's guys or or the cousins. If I'm being watched, this has got to be Gus. If they put me in this room, and there's only one way out, one door out, it's got to be it's got to be Gus because I don't trust this motherfucker. He's already set me up mul- <laughs> yeah. multiple times. This has got to be part of some plan of his. So he sneaks out, goes around puts the gun on this guy, tells me, who are you working for? When the guy says, I don't know, I don't know, you know, his way, he sees the phone, he knows, I'm going to leave this room, and if Tyrus knows I'm going, he's immediately going to check with the watcher, which which is what happens. So the guy's phone rings, so Nacho knows, I'm right. He, I mean, he gets all the proof he needs. Well, exactly. Ta- hey, actually, real quick, talk, Vince, talk about the, um, the, the Nacho's escape through the AC unit. And he jumps out the window. How, how did how did that get accomplished? That was uh, uh, that was uh, uh, really well done by uh, by a, a stunt man named uh, uh, Victor Ty Lopez, uh, who is a uh, he is a uh, parkour expert, and he doubled for for Michael Mando. Michael Mando, by the way, wanted to do it himself, and he would have. And, and Michael's actually very physical and very oh. uh, in great shape. Such a but, physical performance. Yeah, and he and I'm sure I'm sure he could have done it, but it was it just wasn't wise, you know. If you if you're uh, if you twisted his ankle or something, and you just you just it's just that you know leave it to the. He would have done a great job, I'm sure, but you got to leave stuff like that to the experts. And and it was uh, the second floor. Well, and this and this 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 young man who doubles for him uh, jumps down out of this thing. I made him do it twice, which I felt guilty about. I, I when it's a stunt like that, I really only want to, and I'm directing. I really only want to make him do it once. But every now and then, you you, you ask someone, to, and you feel guilty. I felt guilty about it. But he he the first one, and the reason I had him do it twice is he drops out of there and he lands like a cat, and then he just runs off. And I thought it looked too good. He, I thought it looked too superhuman, like a super from a superhero movie or something. Uh, and I thought, and I asked him. I said, "Do you do you, do you mind doing another one?" And he said, "I'll do it all day." He's a real, really great guy. Uh, and he, uh, I said, he said, "What do you want different?" And I said, "Could you make it look not so good?" And he said. Uh, he thought about it a second. He said, how about I land and then I kind of limp off? And I said, uh, you know, I kind of have to work it off a little. And I said, that'd be great. He said, which leg do you want you know, <laughs> to, to be the one that I hurt? I thought, you know, choose one, pick one. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and so he lands and he, you'll see a watch in that low angle. He drops, uh, we're looking up at him. He drops down and hits the ground. And he's landing on the ground. There wasn't really... 
I think there was uh, 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 Al Goto, our stunt coordinator, who's been been with us since the pilot of Breaking Bad, who is 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 the other secret, one of the many secret weapons we have on this show, as we had on Breaking Bad. But he uh, he he was he he figured all this stuff out with Victor. But he he basically uh, they wanted to he wanted to see about putting some sort of padding down yeah, for for the for the young man to land on. But I think I can't remember that for sure. But I think at the end of the day. Because of the shot I wanted, there wasn't really an ability to do much of that ultimately, because Victor didn't want to land on a bunch of soft stuff covered over by dirt, and it would have looked weird. And they said, eh, "Just land," and he goes limping off. And I think even after I told him to do it, uh, I watch him do it, and I yell "cut," and I say, "Oh shit!" He really hurt himself. I'm like, no, that's what you asked me to do. And he's like, "He's fine. This guy, these guys are amazing. Wow. These stunt 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 performers are amazing." Damn. Wow. Hey, hey uh, Ariel. So how did how did I always wonder? Because I could not tell reading this. I I couldn't keep track who wrote what. You guys did it. Wrote this thing so seamlessly. Who who wrote who wrote what? Do you remember? But I mean, all I could, all I could tell is reading it. I couldn't tell. It was all great. It was all uniformly great, and I couldn't tell which of you wrote which parts. Do you remember? Uh, I did the teaser, and then uh, Ariel did everything. From after the teaser up until, uh, what's the last scene of that? It's, um, the um, Lalo's alive. Gus Lala, saying, that's right, Gus Lalo's saying Lalo, Lalo Salamak is alive. Mm-hmm. And then I did everything from yeah. Nacho in the hotel room and the cousins arriving to the end of the episode. Gotcha. Oh, I got a question about that too. So when I watched again this morning, I just want to make sure. What is it that you guys were conveying in that meeting with Tio and Gus? Where the handshake. Ooh, well, that chilling Lalo, handshake. Lalo is alive. Ariel wrote that, so uh, you could <laughs> please speak to that. Yeah, no, it's um, it's so interesting because you know we don't we never want Gus to seem kind of superhuman, um, but you know he and Tio know each other very well, and so we're trying to figure out okay how how is he you know Tio obviously knows that Lalo's alive um, because he spoke with Lalo last episode, and um, how how is Gus going to figure this out? And so we, we were kind of, the idea we had was that, you know, Gus obviously was going to go and he's going, he, you know, he had a kind of a little bit of a hitch when he found out that all of the, all of the um, Expertos, all of, um, all of his guys that he sent to kill all of, they all died, all of them. That's a little suspicious. So we had a little bit of a hitch. And so he's like, I'm going to go check this out for myself. And he goes and he visits Tio and um it's he sees just a little something a little sign of life in Tio's eyes you know he's not he's not totally um distraught you know there's that one small spark and that's what that's what Gus clues in on wow yeah that was deep I gotta say that was really deep the look on Hector's face is uh (laughs) they did such a great job really upsetting (laughs) so good yeah I mean yeah it's another one of those wordless scenes where you know sort of no, nothing is said, but so much is conveyed. And, and they, they, these two guys did such a great job. Hey, I got a question um, that I know will probably be asked of me or any you know, other people. Um, the El Camino Diner, is that a real diner or did y'all? Because I, I got to say, when I saw it, I was like, okay, in any other case, I would say it's, it's not real, but I know budgets, and I don't know if these guys, <laughs> if these, these guys that probably exists. so I'm curious. You know what? It is, it is a real diner, and of course, it appears in the previous episode, and 
the thought came up about changing the sign, but it's a beautiful, you know, it's a beautiful uh, neon sign. Old, yeah, it looks and, uh, uh, very and, Route 66 y. And I, you know, I don't mind. I don't mind a little bit of overlap and callback because uh, El Camino is a you know fantastic movie, and uh, it's part of our universe. And so, uh, yeah, so we had we have the El Camino Diner in, uh, in certainly these first two episodes. Who who knows what's going to happen there in the future? Yeah, technically, yeah, it's a call forward. Ooh. That's, that's Maybe it. the movie El Camino Ooh. is Ooh. based on this diner. Oh yeah, ah. yeah, it's a call oh. forward. That's a head. That's a head game, isn't it? <laughs> This season's full of those. And, and of course, this episode of the podcast will drop simultaneously with the episode, episode one podcast That's right. because both, both episodes are airing on the same night. In fact, they're strung together like one, uh, as if it was one episode. So it's, right. it's going to be an incredible viewing experience. I hope, uh, hope people dig it. Yeah, Wait, just that say, once. You're saying that one and two are going to go together? Yeah. Yep. Did y'all put them together like they played all together with no break in between? Is that what you're saying? Except for commercials, yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's cool. That, yeah. That's how it'll air on AMC as like a as a as a two part as a you know episode one and two all together. Um, nice. Which is super cool. And uh, and by the time this comes out, that will have happened. So let us know how you felt. We can't <laughs> <Yeah>. respond. <laughs> um, one episode per year. You had to wait. <laughs> so wait. So wait. Are you gonna put then the podcasts together? Uh, I'm not going to put the podcast together. They'll be separate, but I think they'll both come out the day after. They'll both come out. Uh, which is a, yet yet more reason why we need to get get these going. And of um, course, the rest the rest of the world will see them uh, as individual episodes. When you know, rest of rest of folks all over the globe uh, yeah. who watch it streaming will see them as two separate episodes. That's right. Sweet. Sweet. Uh, Vince, I had a question for you. Of the let's talk a little bit about the 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 like harrowing shootout as Nacho uh, tries to hotwire that truck and, <laughs> and the, the cousins are revealed in that awesome rear view mirror shot. Um, and then, and then of course uh, there's, there's that like incredible trick shot. Talk a little bit about that shot that comes from outside the truck and goes through the window into the truck with Nacho. I'll start with that. I'm happy to brag on on Paul Donicky for that uh, for for everything, and and that is a great example of Paul's storytelling storytelling uh, uh, his acumen for and his uh, talent for storytelling, and and just for coming up with great shots in general. There's two. There's two. There's probably more than just two. There's there is more than two. It's a group effort, but there's two great shots that were strictly Paul's in this. Uh, there's the shot in the teaser where the truck, uh, the moving truck that's delivering the safe backs up over the camera. That was oh, yeah, yeah. completely Paul's idea. And then and then this uh, was also Paul's idea as well. Uh, this shot that uh, you're asking about, Chris, where the camera starts on, the, uh, on, on, on uh, Nacho and then travels through the windshield. And we were out there scouting. This, t- this took a lot of scouting, uh, this location, to figure out how we were going to do things. So we were out there a great many times before we ever actually shot out there. And we had the trucks. We had the pickup truck. We had all that stuff with us. And Paul said, hey, how about this shot? And I have to, <laughs> like with the uh, dial nine to get out, I have to say the first time I heard it, I thought, I don't know, that kind of, is that kind of, I don't know what I resisted. I didn't really resist it. I, I one of the smartest things I do, if I anything I do is smart, is is to not immediately uh, nix an idea. 
that someone else has. I, I sometimes you you almost want to, and sometimes when you're the boss, you can. I mean, not sometimes you can. You can. You can do it at any time. You can say, "No, we're not doing that." Uh, word to the wise young folks listening to this who want to do this for a living: it's it's uh, count to ten. And I don't mean that in the old way of you know count to ten before you say something out of anger. Count to ten before you say no, because. Mm. I thought about it and I thought, I think my first instinct was it's a little, calls a little too much attention to itself as a shot. I think that was my internal resistance. But then I thought about it and I thought, well, first of all, what can it hurt to get it? You know, we're going to have, we need a lot of shots for this sequence. And especially because I hate repeating shots when I don't have to. I try sort of a basic philosophy I've come to is I, I, when I'm directing, I don't want to, I don't want to use the same shot twice Sometimes you just have to. It's two people talking. You're going to keep cutting back and forth to, to the person's face. You can't have every single shot be completely new. But as much as possible, especially with an action sequence, I don't want to use the same one twice, particularly the more interesting it is, uh, oddly enough. But but anyway, I'm, 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 I'm over-explaining this. But I thought, ah, is this shot too, is it too bravura? Is it called too much attention to itself? And then I thought... Well, you know, what the hell? Let's just shoot it. And I said to Paul, how do you do something like this? He says, well, you, we get the windshield guys. By the way, we had two full-time windshield guys on the set during all this because we had to keep blowing out all these windshields. And so two guys from, you know, some Safe Light type company kept, you know, kept putting in new windshields for us. And they also, I think it was maybe those same guys who cut this thing with some sort of crazy saw. They did all this in advance. I don't think out there in the on the day, but... And and our guys, our camera guys, and our grips, uh, Jake and our grip crew, and everybody measured this thing out. Charlie, uh, all these guys with tape measures and whatnot, figured out how to get this tiny little remote head to fit just through this this hole in the windshield and come around. It was I just I was eating hot dogs and sort of watching them as they were doing all this. I I had nothing to do with this shot essentially, uh, and it is one of the very coolest, most memorable shots in the uh, in the episode. And when we did it, it was just, it's awesome. It's a, you know, and it was all, that was all Paul and, uh, and Jake and Charlie and, and, uh, and Mike, and by the way, Michael, I mean, Mando's you know, you, performance. Yeah. Mando's fantastic. He's uh, anyway, I over explain that, but all of that to say the actions, I will, I will sum it up with this. That action sequence was a beast. It took, uh, two or three days to shoot. Uh, it was not as much fun to shoot as it was, as it is to watch. But it was, it's that old expression, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? That's, you know, it, you, you go in with a good plan. I had three or four pages worth of homework uh, delineating from in a plan view fashion like I always do where all the shots are. And I think, I don't know, I can't remember how many. It was a lot of shots. And we, we just... All credit to to Angie Meyer, uh, who this was the first time I ever worked with Angie. Angie was our first first time she was our first AD uh, on on an episode of Saul. This was her introduction to the to the team to the family, and she was fantastic. She just killed it. She really she was the other secret weapon. She figured out how to shoot this incredibly intense, complicated scene. She figured out how to do it within limited daylight hours because we're shooting this. You know, we don't have a lot. It's not the height of summer or anything, to say the least, and we don't have that many hours. And we're, uh, 
you know, she figured it all out. So it was, uh, that was, that was sort of how we did it. Can it's, I it's a, you? it's, oh, it's a funny oh. thing just to make an observation. Sometimes when, uh, you're shooting a really exciting, something that's high impact and has a lot of gunfire and all kinds of other, and all stunts on the screen, it goes by really quickly and it's super exciting, but in some ways it's the most tedious thing to shoot oh, because yeah. every, every single piece has has to get its due and uh you know of course you have to do everything safely which is which is the most important thing of all and uh so it's 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 weirdly it's it's a kind of reverse of what you would think you because when you see a behind the scenes uh of one of these things all they show you is the moment when the stunt goes off they don't show you they don't show you the they don't show you the two days of meetings that went out just about the stunt and it's it's something i'm now whenever i watch an action scene i think about wow that was a lot of meetings. <laughs> a lot, of, a lot meetings. of good point. A lot of meetings. We're going to, I know we have to kind of start to wrap it up, but because um, we're recording another podcast today. But uh, I just, uh, one more thing about the Kettleman's that I wanted to talk about, which is there's so many like little Saul Goodmanisms that happen at their, at their weird little fraud palace that they have in that trailer um, you know. mobile fraud palace I like yeah, that. that's right that's right i mean who doesn't who who doesn't trust a mobile fraud palace um but you know the the flags the music on the inside which made me laugh out loud uh of course yeah, and yeah, lady yeah. liberty obviously um talk about the i mean i that i was that stuff that came up in the room that is this where saul got some of his ideas uh, talk about the, the the crafting of that, and then the, the you know the the production design of it too. Yeah, you guys should talk about uh, when we came up with it. I, I all I remember is in my mind's eye, the first thing I, I had in mind was uh, when when you guys were throwing these ideas. We were all throwing these ideas around. Was the idea of an old Pizza Hut, like mm-hmm. that? Those Pizza Huts have a very specific shape, and and you see them all over the country now. Uh, repurposed as other as other businesses and I, that was what was in my mind's eye but that didn't work out what were you guys picturing for their for their digs uh Ariel and tom god it was so long ago i don't actually remember what my original uh i don't i remember you pitching the pizza hut and i i guess i always did imagine sort of a trailer in the middle on the outskirts of mm-hmm. you know near casinos somewhere where people could get, get taken advantage of and i mean you watch the this the show from the very beginning and i don't know if we started intentionally doing it but jimmy always started he always picked up things from other people he'd always adapt and and repeat lines that other people say and it always it felt right for him to see lady lady liberty and this really obnoxious way to to draw in people who are desperate that he adopted this for himself later on uh he just he saw the he saw the the trap that they were setting and felt that it well this will work for me too hey is that mm-hmm. the same one that you guys used Yes, it is the same Lady Liberty. It sure yes, is. It is. <laughs> it is so damn big. I, this is so weird. But I mean, you know, I shot this thing that was around it. Even when I wasn't directing on Breaking Bad, it'd be up on the roof of the strip mall of of, and it it didn't seem as big up there. When you're standing at the base of this thing, it's it's as tall as a telephone pole. I mean, it is huge. It's thirty <laughs> feet tall. Wow. Yeah. What what did it take to go get it? I mean, is it was I mean, I'm assuming all that stuff is in storage, but like what was it like when you guys when you guys broke it and you said we're going to use this like Tom and Ariel, you know, what what did you guys think, you know? It didn't oh. take it didn't take much to go get it cuz we had it. What took but it what took a lot of thought and a lot of meetings and discussion is 
it was really windy out there. That was we were shooting in an area uh, on uh, native land on a reservation uh, uh, to the uh, to the northwest of downtown Albuquerque, and it was really windy out in that uh, in that area. And the fear was, this is the only balloon we've got. This is the only Lady Liberty we've got. They are surprisingly, it was impossible to find a duplicate. Mm-hmm. And, and our crew looked all over the country and maybe even Canada and wherever. I don't know. They looked all over. <laughs> uh, and there's only one that we could find. Wow. And and because they, because when because I, I, I know more about these things than I used to. These things, they don't come out of a, off an assembly line. They basically... An artist designs them, and then a, a team of, I guess, cutters and seamstresses, or however they do it, they make these things one by one. And uh, so wow. the fear was that the wind was going to rip this thing to shreds. So we had balloon handlers that were out there. We had they had to tie this thing down. They had to deflate it when the wind got too high. Uh, and you see, there's this one, the scene, the big scene where where uh, 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 Saul pulls off this amazing. I mean the the, the way the way uh, Ariel and Tom wrote this thing it's just it just it, the the scam it, it still makes my head spin of the fact that Saul <laughs> it looks like Saul is losing 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 and then he wins a little bit and then he loses and then he walks off with a smile on his face it's yeah. uh, amazing this guy is like he's like, he's like the you know the Nijinsky of of scam the way he jetes around you know scamming the shit out of people, you know leaving their heads spinning. But uh, that scene when he's out there uh, and and Mrs. Kettleman fires him, the, the wind you could see in the shot the wind is blowing like a just like crazy. Uh, it was it was so <laughs> unpleasant out there, and that balloon is bobbing all around and. But uh, that trailer, that was, uh, I, I want to, before we, before we stop talking about this, I want to give credit to Denise Pizzini, and, uh, our, our production designer, and her crew, uh, and uh, uh, Steve Brown, our, our, our construction coordinator. Uh, between Denise and Steve and their crews, they, I think they rented this, uh, this, this uh, office trailer. They trucked it out there. Uh, Denise came up with this color scheme. Steve and his guys painted it. Uh, they, they all, it was just, it's this, it is again, I keep using like a balloon should drop. I say it so often, but group effort, collaborative effort. But I tell you, these guys, uh, just, just nailed that, that location, uh, that set, uh, and they, you know, Christian Diaz de Bedoya found this amazing location, Denise and, uh, and, and Steve, uh, uh, and their guys put this this uh, built this set out there in the middle of nowhere, and it was it's it just really tells a story. It's all about storytelling, and they are storytellers, uh, just like the actors are, and the director and the writers, and uh, it's all about uh, figuring out how best to tell a story. I think we wrote it as a trailer, and then there was a concern about oh, we have Gus's trailer, so we have yeah lots mm-hmm. of scenes and trailers. So yeah. I think there was a thought of let's try to find another place, but then I can't remember if you didn't find anything satisfying and it just sort of fell on to let's let's do the trailer and make it look as different as we can i think it, i think it works great we i end. think so too we found you know what you know part of it was that now that you're you're reminding me we found abandoned businesses that we could rent and turn into this ad hoc uh tax office we found a couple of interesting ones but the trouble is we knew the way you guys wrote it this amazing scene you guys wrote of the the one that that ballet of 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 scammery that uh, the Saul pulls off, uh, it's a long scene. 
I mean, it goes on seven or eight or nine pages. I can't even remember. It's a, and it's wonderful, but it's a lot of talking. And all these other places we found were right on the edge of, of streets that had a lot of traffic on them. And we couldn't, you can't, even when you can do what's called ITC, intermittent traffic control, even when you can stop, you get the police that you've, you know, you're, they're helping you to stop traffic. You don't want to do it any more than you have to, and you can't do it for 10 or 15 minutes straight, the time it would take to do one of these uh, takes all the way through, because you have people rioting on you. You don't want to do that to the good people of Albuquerque. So we needed a place that was out in the boondocks that we could control. So that was yet another reason we wound up out there. That's and that. we and and if I'm sorry, and it it, it seems like oh the play that trailer was already out there. It definitely was not. It was trucked out there to a, uh, a just a big field next to a gas pumping station in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and that must have been challenging because it was a real trailer, which it almost it had that it had the vibe of like uh, almost I don't know I had the feeling of like like a portable classroom almost, which I I had in fourth grade. And there's just sort of like something so temporary about it. And yet that's just how it is. It's like they set it up and that's just how it's going to be. And they're weird cubicle walls. And Oh, heck yeah. They, they wallpapered in there and everything. Oh, they did. Yeah. Denise and, and Steve and the, the crew. I mean, they, yeah, the, the Steve's guys and Denise's, uh, Denise's design. And yeah, that's all. But they, they didn't. That is the basic layout. We shot. It was really tight in there. It is a it is a, an office trailer versus a mobile home. It's a it's a the kind of a trailer you truck out to a job site so that you can have a mobile office as as you're constructing your skyscraper or your mall or whatever. And they are really, yeah, they're they're pretty damn tiny inside. I mean, they're great for what they're designed for. They're not designed for this. They're not designed to have. 40, 50 people inside them with big cameras. And, and, you know, it was, it was, it was like phone booth stuffing, shooting inside this thing. And we didn't cut any walls. I don't think we were allowed to, unless we wanted to buy the trailer versus rent it. And we didn't have the money. So we, we just, we managed, you know, it's like a big game of uh, the world's most expensive game of twister inside shooting inside (laughs) one of these little tight, tight, uh, you know, trailers, but no walls were cut. No, no, uh, that was everything shot inside was really out there in the middle of nowhere. Usually something like that, you, you, you shoot those interior scenes on a soundstage and you, and you, you put uh, lights outside the window to make it look like, you know, or you do green screen out the window or whatever. This was all actually out there in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> well, uh, I think we got to leave it at that because we, uh, we're going to record another podcast. Um, so I, I just want to thank you guys all for coming out uh, of one room into another room. Uh, and getting on a computer <laughs> with microphones. Uh, no, I, I, I just, this is this is such an awesome episode, and um, I'm just really glad we got a chance to talk about it. And and uh, it's always fun talking to you guys. It's wow. it's you know we we don't all we're not all in this you know a bunch of us in the same room uh, as we used to be. We used to have you know our lunches together, and but you know we're uh, we're we're doing we're we're making the most of it, and. Um, it's just awesome to all be together. I uh, and I also want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, and you know, we love we love hearing your feedback. And um, Kelly, I'm glad that you joined us. And and Joey, thank you so much for uh, you know making these sound so good and and recording them. And it's fun to be at your house again. It's really fun. And uh, thanks, Mike Bearman Trout, uh, and. Uh, Chris Sullivan for no reason in particular. And, um, and of course, huge thanks to Jen Carroll for like making these things happen. 
Yay! Uh, it's, it's, Yay! Uh, it's really Great awesome producing. that we get to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you guys very much. And uh, Ariel, will you will you take us out with your best uh, Bob Odenkirk Better <clears throat> Call Saul? Oh God. Okay. <clears throat> Better Call Saul. Yeah. Yay! All right. That's a good yes. One. Excellent.